Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 46 of the Know Your Physio podcast. I'm your host, Andres Prichel, helping you discover your science to optimize your life, health, and performance. And today's guest is Joshua Holland, and this is part two of the awareness shift. If you've tuned into part one and you've gotten the context or the background on Josh and his book and all of his amazing work, great. If you haven't, that's okay. This podcast can still serve you in an amazing way, and it's full. Oh my goodness. It is full of value and information that you can apply immediately to improve your quality of life, bring more awareness to your life, which will support you in starting and maintaining new habits, how to improve your positive self-talk and enhance cognition, everything from smart acronyms and how to set up new goals with a smart acronym, how to improve your baseline scores on with wearable devices, everything about perceptions around starting the path to achieve a goal, biohacking your mornings, inversions, grinding coffee beans, and all kinds of crazy supplementation protocols that we love. And we get really, really personal and things get very emotional towards the later half of the episode as we talk about our relationships with our fathers and the struggles that we've had in helping loved ones make shifts in awareness towards their health and some tips on how you can do the same. So just such a special, special episode. Josh is really such a dear friend. And through this episode, we actually ended up becoming so close, as you'll see. And man, I really appreciate you, Josh. If you're, if you're listening to this, I really appreciate you, man, as a brother. And I hope that we get the chance to record some more podcasts like this. And I know that we can get it to know each other even better. So yeah, hope you guys enjoy. Thanks again, my brother Josh. And we'll see you guys on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, the folks at Bioptimizers have done it again. They've just released their new and improved formula for Magnesium Breakthrough, the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today. This product was already amazing, but Bioptimizers has continued to research and improve it. And this new fourth generation formula means Magnesium Breakthrough is now even more potent and effective for reducing stress, improving sleep, and boosting energy levels. And if you've already taken Magnesium Breakthrough, You'll want to try the new formula as soon as you can because it now includes cofactors like B6 and manganese that help with the absorption of magnesium. And if you've never tried Magnesium Breakthrough before, now is the perfect time to try it. And here's why. For the deepest healing of many health problems, Dr. Mark Circus says there is going to be only one answer, and that answer is magnesium. And why does he say that? Well, there's two very important reasons. First, magnesium is involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions. And second, about 75% of people are not getting enough magnesium. This is a much bigger problem than most people think because when you don't get enough magnesium, you suffer from poor sleep, low energy, and even higher stress levels. And in every bottle of magnesium breakthrough, you'll get seven unique forms of organic full spectrum magnesium, which can dramatically improve your health. It can help you sleep longer and deeper, help you reduce stress levels and feel more calm. It'll give you abundant all-day energy to win at life. And because it supports mental awareness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you to finally feel like yourself again. Simply taking two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed by the improvements in your mood and energy levels. And how much more rested you feel when you wake up. You'll feel refreshed like new. And for an exclusive offer for my listeners, you can go to magbreakthrough.com slash undress 
and use code ANDRES, A-N-D-R-E-S, during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. Oh, and one last thing, if you want your loved ones to be healthier, consider giving them the gift of Magnesium Breakthrough for Mother's Day, Father's Day, or even a spring birthday. Again, that special link is magbreakthrough.com slash undress. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash undress. One more time, magbreakthrough.com slash undress, A-N-D-R-E-S. Use code undress during checkout, save 10% and get free shipping. That's all for now, folks. Have an amazing rest of your day. Hope you enjoy some good sleep and some nice, calm energy with your magnesium. Josh, here we are. We're back, my man. How you doing? I'm well. We are back. I'm happy to, I guess, do round two of this. Had a very, very phenomenal conversation with you. I think a lot of people will be able to benefit from that conversation. In fact, uh, I think it's impressive that even you and I have benefited greatly from that conversation, which prompted this conversation, this part two. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a, it's a pleasure to have you back here and have made a bit of a friendship and relationship after, after that first podcast. And dude, I'm pumped to jump in here. And I think a great way to start would be you know, what's, uh, what stacks are we on right now? What uh, cognitive enhancement stacks <laughs> are we enjoying right now? What's going on? Well, we both have remnants of blue canatine, methylene blue, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I did my best to undo the blue, if you will, to reduce the blue, which any of you that might follow my social media, you may have noticed I put out some videos on best practices, like the best ways to select the dosing with the blue canatine and or how to undo the blue. And then very soon I'll be releasing a video in which the ways I use blue canatine. And for those that don't know what blue canatine is all about, I have a package here. This one here is the just blue. And then this one is the blue canatine. Actually, sorry. This is the Just Blue. So if you're watching video, I'm holding up the package of Just Blue. And it probably makes sense for those who are in this world of biohacking. The Just Blue is simply just methylene blue because some people aren't too keen on the idea of having caffeine and nicotine, which is I, also- I should add, it's, it's a microdose. Uh, it's a microdose of pharmaceutical grade nicotine and caffeine. I, I know that's that's very, you know, iffy for some people, but if you want to learn more about the science of that stuff, I did a whole podcast with Boomer Anderson and uh, onotropics and blue canatine and it really takes you through the safety and efficacy of these ingredients and yeah, I mean it's like, you know, non-addictive at that point. It's just such a negligible amount. But the synergy between those ingredients really kicks things up a notch from a cognitive perspective, I find. And even physical, I, I know a lot of people will take this as like a sort of pre-workout, but yeah, for podcasts, it's pretty sweet. Is that all you're, you're taking right now? You know, before we started recording, I, I mentioned to you that, because you had asked me a little bit about my morning routine and it's morning here. Uh, it's 10, almost 1030. And what I typically do when I wake up is the normal sort of getting up, splashing cold water on my face, drinking. I drink water with baking soda, 
which is what I have here. As I'm making my coffee, I usually do my own manual grind. So I grind my coffee beans and I use that as a bit of a sort of like a meditative habitual practice that allows me to get into a certain state of flow. I think we also mentioned, like I'm reading this book currently called Atomic Habits. And it's the small things that you can do to kind of jumpstart any habit. And making my own coffee, grinding it every morning sort of kickstarts me into that process, right? So I kind of layer good practices on top of that habit. And, you know, it's either I am meditating or I'm listening to a podcast while I'm doing my coffee grind because it's become such second nature now that I don't even have to think about what to do. I just do. And I think that's a big component of creating a good habit. And I use that also, that technique, that practice, if you will, I use that to work with other clients. I use that to tell them like, hey, look, if you simply want to to set yourself up for best practices. You have to do things that are easy and you also have to do things that are manageable and duplicable, right? So sometimes we get caught up in trying to do too much by saying, okay, summertime's coming. So I, I want to lose 50 pounds and I want to have a six pack. Well, what about all the things to kind of even get you started on that? And sometimes it's as simple as obtaining a workout buddy or getting a coach to keep you accountable for the things you set out. Or it could be simply, if you're like me, I never really want to waste money. So I will tell myself, okay, I need to buy an expensive pair of workout clothes because I know I'm going to use that, right? I even have purchased recently as a gift, I got a, a tonal machine. I also purchased a sled, one of those tank M1 sleds that I can use in my hallway here. A lot of people would look at me and go, dude, why do you need a sled? You know, you don't even have a proper place to even use it. But, you know, spending upwards of $1,000 or more, it costs more than $1,000 for this for the sled, I know that I'm not going to allow it to sit here and collect dust. I am going to use it. So sometimes that works to motivate certain people. It motivates me. And so I kind of have enough things in my environment to take away excuses, period. Yeah. And, and that sort of change, I think this works both ways is that change stimulates you, right? Like you, you upgrade your workout equipment, you get new, this, new, that. And now all of a sudden you can elicit a different kind of stressor that can help you become fitter, stronger, faster, right? Because you're, you're implementing a new, a new strategy. The nature of the stimulus dictates the nature of the adaptation. If you're constantly adding in the same stimulus, you're no longer going to adapt. But going back to the habits and, and making these small things a habit, it's like if you do things that are small enough and consistently enough, they will help reduce decision-making fatigue and they're going to support you and help you start the day right. And it's something that you can always count on. And so what you described as far as like now it's automatic, that's exactly where people want to be. You know yeah. that you've made something a habit once it's automatic. And I like how you mentioned the, uh, the manual grinding of coffee beans. That was actually part of my morning routine a few months back. And it was like, like grinding the beans and getting that first smell of coffee, like that, that alone, I think accounts for about 50% of the caffeine kick. It's like a placebo effect. You know, it's like, yeah, you start to smell the like coffee and your body's already like energized. And so I would grind the coffee by hand. Then I would have it in one of these, uh, I would put it in one of these Cuban coffee roasters on the stove and I would meditate. And then I would actually come out of meditation once the, I start to smell the coffee, right? So you, so you get you these two little doses of caffeine. 
and then you finally drink the coffee and then you're like wired. And the only reason why I dropped that is because my neighbor, we kind of embarked on this journey here in Miami to like find the best local coffee shops with the best coffee beans. And now he has this really fancy espresso machine. So now every part of my morning routine is actually getting together with him and having, and he's my, you know, he's, he's like right here and he's enjoying a new bean for that week. It's fun. It's something that I really look forward to, but I really do miss grinding the beans myself and making that part of the routine. Currently, you know, I wake up, make my bed. As soon as the bed is made, I'll go meditate. I've been using the Pro Neurolite, the BioQuant, I think is a trade name, the Pro Neurolite, which is like, I'm sure you've seen it. It's like these two bulbs you put in your nostrils. It's connected to, a, to like a remote and you can set it to elicit different brainwave states while it shines red and infrared light into your nose. And actually in the morning I've been using, they have two bulbs, but I've been switching the infrared for a blue light to get some kind of blue light in my brain early in the morning just to prime my my circadian rhythm before I actually see sunlight. And so I've been doing that. And when I meditate with that thing, I mean, I just feel so, so, so good. Typically, I'd pair that with the, the Apollo Neuro. My Apollo Neuro is a little faulty right now. I have to get a new one. They're sending me a new one. But that to me is like, oh my God, like I'm already so feeling so, so, so good. Then the coffee, then a shower, and then I start the day. But I keep it simple. I mean, to me, that's very, very simple. Something that I can really fall back on and something I can really depend on. Like I do that and then I'll go work out. After all that, I'll go exercise in the morning. And that's like, no matter what happens that day, it's guaranteed to be a great day. Like I can handle anything that life throws at me after I do that. It's automatic at this point. And I think that's exactly what we should strive for is automatic behaviors that support our wellness that are so small in the beginning that you don't even really notice until now, boom, you're set. If you look at that into stages, you know, you can do it as in stage one, stage two, stage three, and so on. It's important to mention attaching sort of the, if you want to call it a mantra, or if you want to call it some kind of positive self-talk aligned with those, then it makes it even more profound. Because let's face it, if a person has a negative connotation to coffee, let's say the smell of coffee reminds them of their childhood and one of their parents or something like that was abusive or whatever, that can become a negative self-talk and it becomes a negative situation. But you can quickly shift that. And let's say that every time you start grinding your coffee, for instance, when I grind my coffee, it's a bit of movement. So what I do is I try to I grind a little bit with my left hand and then I grind a little bit with my right hand. And then once I've let it brew, that's usually when I'm laying on my inversion table. So kind of like you, like I go into meditation, but while I'm hanging upside down and <laughs> I typically, I typically set my brew for about four minutes. And so I'm just kind of hanging upside down. And when I hear the timer go off for me, that's kind of like you're smelling the coffee, right? And so once the timer goes off, I come out of that. I've got this newfound blood flow full of nutrients, full of oxygen permeating throughout my brain because I'm upside down. But it also gives me this bit of release and this decompression throughout all the the vertebrae and the joints throughout the body. And so now I have this newfound look because while I'm hanging upside down, I'm going through breath work, I'm doing all these things. Then I get even more movement. Because instead of just using a blender to blend all the ingredients, you know, the MCT oil, the collagen, the protein, whatever, if I'm putting that into a blender, I'm cheating myself out of more movement. And so going back to 
trying to find ways to get more movement throughout the day, instead of only waiting until I do a one hour workout or whatever, I decide sometimes to just take my thermos after I've done my French press, I take my thermos, put all the ingredients inside the thermos, and then I shake it. And then I'm like, it's almost like the shake weight, right? I have the shaker. (laughs) The shake weight, man. (laughs) Yeah. I have the shaker on one side of the body. Then I go on the other side of the body. And now I'm creating my own latte with my own manual movement. And then I enjoy all of that, knowing that I just created this myself. Now, let's face it. There's going to be mornings or days when time is tight. And instead of going with the whole bean manual grind, I'll have a selection of pre-ground coffee because that's faster, right? But I know that that's, you know, once in a life, not once in a lifetime, but like once every so often that that happens. And I still benefit from everything else, you know, and like you had talked about putting these bulbs of light into your nostrils and things like that. Like I have various setups as well. One of my main setups when it comes to morning routine is I have this LED helmet and it's by a company called Weber Medical. They also have a spectral watch that also has various lights of different spectrums that you can choose. And then they also have a nose application. So you can put those in the nose, you can put them in the ears, you can wear the helmet, or you can just wear the watch. And I kind of do all of it. And I do a nasal spray with Hoppe. And if you were in my apartment and you saw me in the morning, you would think like, okay, is this dude about to take off to go to space or, <laughs> or what's happening? And, you know, maybe that is the case. I mean, yeah. on some level, I guess figuratively, I am kind of going to another planet. And here we are. <laughs> One thing I want to say for people that are probably thinking, man, these guys are, are wackos. It's like what we're doing is we're simulating what you would otherwise get from like being in nature, you know, getting a fresh breath of air, being in sunlight. We're, we're simulating that with advanced technologies in just minutes. And it's like, we know, as a matter of fact, there's a huge, huge, huge benefit. And Andrew Huberman, so if, if you guys don't think we're credible because we're talking about this biohacking wacko stuff, Andrew Huberman, head of neuroscience at Stanford, you can tune into some of his podcasts and content. And he's just such a fan of getting morning sunlight because it helps establish a healthy circadian rhythm, healthy circadian biology from which every mechanism in your body is either directly or indirectly associated with. And so what we do is, you know, while we're making our coffee, while we're getting things done around the house, we want to add in something that's going to support our circadian biology. So whether that's getting red and infrared light or blue light, which is what you would get from the sun, or getting more oxygen and blood flow to your brain as if you're getting up and getting a fresh breath of air as you move and get into nature. We live in cities. I'm in Miami. You're in New York. So it's how we add these things back in because modern life kind of sucks them out. So it looks crazy. You know, we're just coming back to nature in the modern world. And something that I wanted to add was, you know, you're doing the inversion, which I love. And I, and I definitely want to get into the inversion stuff. I've been getting into headstands, which I found to be very therapeutic for me, especially like, you know, either immediately before, or immediately after a yoga session. I just find that it feels so, so, so good. I find that the red and infrared light because it dilates my nasal passage, my olfactory bulb, that that sort of area. And I find that I get a similar effect, but it's nothing. It doesn't even come close to inversion. You get all that blood flow in your brain. And then you add in the caffeine, you're like feeling smooth, feeling wired, feeling good like we are right now. And one thing I want to mention is beyond the proscriptions, I did take the ketonade KE4. So the world's most powerful ketone esters. I find, I don't know if you've tried that before a podcast or like a long meeting or 
some kind of endurance, physical endurance event. But I find that this helps me maintain my performance like so steady for the you know for long term. That stuff is great, man. That stuff is really good. I've done the ketone esters like a handful of times. I admit it's very expensive. <laughs> I find myself doing my best to be somewhat reasonable when it comes to all these things because let's face it, we spend a lot of money testing a lot of this stuff. And I feel like a lot of people listening and following us get a chance to benefit from that because we spend our hard-earned money and our time vetting these things and then we provide the results to people. The ketone esters for me has been the one that I've seen a lot of great research in it, but it's just hard for me to wrap my head around because I haven't come across anything that was reasonable enough for me to want to do it, but it is good. I agree with you. I think it's amazing. What I've decided to do is go down the path of doing like C60. And there's a good product by Ian Mitchell's company, Wizard Sciences, called Neural RX. And they make another one. That one's for more cognition, but they also make a product called Olympic RX. That stuff is game changing. And I took that before this episode. So it's, a, it's like a, new, a nootropic. Yeah, it basically is, you know, it works on certain pathways, maybe similar to ketone esters, because it's encased with, I believe that one is with MCT oil, the C, the C8, and it's got C60 in it. It's also has a few other things that helps to kind of bypass the, the gut and goes straight to the brain. I like to take that in combination with blue canatine and then, of course, any kind of meditative practice and possibly hape. That's what I'm on right now. So <laughs> if I go down tangents and rabbit holes, you know why. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I think those are certainly appreciated by certain people. You know, it's like when we go into these subtopics, I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate that. I'm sure the bulk of people just want us, want us to kind of stick to the, the script, so to speak. <laughs> I certainly enjoy rabbit holes, though. If you want to jump in, let's jump into the topic of awareness. I know from our last podcast, we, we talked a little bit about you know, your book, The Awareness Shift, and all these different pillars of awareness that you're all about and you're trying to, to, to help cultivate, right? For people to achieve higher, higher performance or optimal health, a better quality of life overall. And one of my questions for you is, how would you define awareness shift? Because we, we spoke about some of these concepts, but I don't think we really gave a definition. Like, what is a shift in awareness? How do you know that this has happened? If I may, a follow-up question, or maybe a part two to this question is, how do you think that this kind of like morning routine, the kind of things that we do, meditation can help foster an, an awareness shift? Great question. I mean, from the very basic level to answer this is trying to cultivate awareness or a shift in awareness means we have to establish awareness first and foremost. We need to establish some sort of baseline. Where are we in our lives, in our careers, in our relationships? Where are we now? Where do we want to go? I think it's just like any other goal. It first requires establishing a baseline. And that I think is probably the biggest thing we can do because it's hard to know where you're going if you don't know where you're at. You know, you don't know what vehicle you're in. You don't know how you're going to get there. I mean, you can say that you want to become, I don't know, uh, an Olympic athlete, but like, what are you doing right now to get you there? And what things are you going to put in place to kind of help to further that goal? So to define awareness, the reason why I wanted to write a book on this is because it's so complex. It's so nuanced, but it doesn't have to be. It can be as simple as just finding out who you are, 
do you consider yourself lazy? Sometimes you have to really look yourself in the mirror and decide like the goals that you set out, like, is this achievable for you? There's the thing that we use in business and in education called the SMART acronym. And I forget exactly like what all the acronyms stand for, but you want to set yourself up to being able to work through a certain goal, but it starts from being aware, right? And one of those acronyms, one of the, like the R is a realistic goal. And then the T is like timing. And I think what it really boils down to is we have to search within ourselves to find out that we tick in a certain way. What motivates me is going to be very different than what motivates you, Andres. And something else might motivate another client. So it's sometimes helpful to have a coach to walk us through that. Maybe you've done all the work you think you can. I might look at you and say, hey, did you realize that every time you say something about your goal, you hope for this, you hope for that, instead of being, right? Like, what can you do to be that? So instead of saying, like, I want to lose weight, how about say, I am a healthy person. And when you embody that and you and you match that up against a good meditation goal, you max that out with having someone to keep you accountable, then now you're telling yourself every day that you are a healthy person. And what do healthy people do? They make better decisions when it comes to sleeping, when it comes to eating, when it comes to exercise and things like that. And it's not always just doing more of those things. It's having a better sense of quality within those things. And that's how my book is is set up. It's set up for because you know you mentioned that it's a certain pillars of awareness but it's actually pillars of my practice my practice the, the main pillar is quality awareness but the rest of the pillars as we discussed in part 1 the rest of the pillars also have this component of quality within it so like the next major pillar after quality awareness is quality rest well what does that mean well first of all what is rest well rest is sleep and recovery from exercise, from the stressors throughout our lives because we all face them. But what does it mean to have quality rest? That's the big difference. And it takes awareness to be able to be aware of that, (laughs) to realize that that is also going to have an effect and so on and so forth. So as we continue this part two, I'm sure we can, there might be questions that come up to maybe help understand some of the other pillars, but I think awareness is the thing that if you didn't do anything else, except to become more aware of who you are deep down inside on a spiritual, emotional, on a physical level, then everything else is just kind of secondary and everything else is just icing on the cake. So I I think that the gist of of what you're saying here, I think this is an incredible definition and and taking us through this, and I'm sure we'll have a chance to further elaborate and dive into this as we proceed with this podcast. But I think the gist of this is to know what step to take next. First, we need to know where we stand. You know, and I think that's the awareness shift. It's like you were describing weight loss, right? Like a lot of people will identify with the fact that they need to lose weight. And all of a sudden they're they're identifying with with a negative connotation of themselves. Whereas if they simply become aware of of that concept and they go, you know what? Maybe I should identify with the version of myself that wants to invest in myself just for the sake of investing in my well-being. Now the weight loss is secondary to that, but you've created a certain level of awareness that's going to benefit you in so many different dimensions. And now the process of becoming better isn't because you hate yourself. 
it's because you love yourself and want to invest in a better version of yourself. Yeah. Did I get that right? <laughs> no, it, I mean, well said. I, I love how you you sort of rephrase and, and sort of summarize some of these concepts because a lot of what we're talking about is my experience and it's it's how I see it. But that's only as good as the person that sees it the same way I see it. When you have your explanation, you see it the way you see it, and then it's easier to then pass that on. And once we pass that on, we're doing exactly what we set out to do, which is to help as many people as possible. That's why we do these podcasts. Two heads is better than one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, like, for instance, if you identify with that of a healthy person, then it's easier to understand that even healthy people, whatever that looks like to you, healthy people make mistakes. Of course, right? So, but if you're identifying with that of a healthy person and less about identifying with what you see on a scale, then it's easier to go, okay, there was just a little small setback because we as human beings have setbacks. But when you identify with the scale, you might think, okay, is the scale broken? Am I broken? And then it's like, well, what what does it even matter? Because, you know, we all understand that there's a difference between changing your body composition versus just losing weight, right? And I used to say to people, it was kind of a joke for me, but when I would meet with people early on in my health coaching days, and if a person would say to me, Josh, you know, I'm here to see you because I want to lose weight, I go, oh, okay, well, let's make this really easy and let's have you take off your shoes, take off your your shorts, leave your underwear on, take off your shirt if it's a male, and now you just pay me for that moment because we just lost some weight off of you, right? And they go, no, 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 but like I, I, I want to lose weight like in my body. Oh, oh, okay. So we'll take it a step further. How about, let's see, what limb can you do without? Let's cut off your left foot. And they'll be like, Josh, like, why are you joking around? I'm not, I'm not joking around. You came to me and said, you want to lose weight. I'm going to give you some ways to lose weight without having to do the work. Cause that's, you know, it's essentially what you're saying. You just want to lose weight and you can cut off a limb. You may not need it. You may need it, but you just want to lose weight, right? Then that opens up this whole new conversation about just changing the perspective of that conversation. They go, oh, okay, I see where you're going with this. So it's like, oh, okay. So what you're telling me is that you want to change your body composition and you want to be that of a healthy person. So what does it take to do that? Now we have actionable steps that we can go down and things that we can really look into to go, Ah, and that's again, back when I used to have only four pillars and I used to start off with quality rest and then quality consumption, quality activeness, quality exercise. But it wasn't until I started working with Tessa and I started to kind of figure out that I wanted to write a book that I realized the most important moment was that first moment, which is quality awareness. So we made that person aware of what they're saying so that we can then help them to become more aware of all the other actions they're they're making throughout their life. Because it's easy to say, it's very easy to go, yeah, well, I eat relatively healthy and I sleep fine. I just can't seem to lose the weight. Okay, well, if I just look at that at face value and I don't dive in, I don't ask more questions, then it's almost like, well, then why are you here? And the difference is awareness because it's so easy to just look in the mirror or take a comment from a friend or family member and and say, hey, I'm overweight. I need to lose weight. But what habits, what about your lifestyle, the way you live your life, what about your environment 
is feeding this circumstance. And now you've shifted the awareness. Now it's like, it's not my weight. It's what I'm exposing myself to, what I'm consuming, how I'm sleeping. Now from that pillar, you enter the other pillars and you attack those first. That's the most important one, but it's like working backwards almost. People that are overweight, a lot of people, not everybody, they won't approach you and say, hey, I want to improve my sleep. I want to improve my nutrition. I want to improve what I, you know, what I consume and my, the energy that I consume and the food that I consume. And no, 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 it's the other way around. And so it is by definition, a matter of awareness. And one thing that I want to reflect back to that you mentioned earlier, the, the SMART acronym, this is new information for me as well. I just Googled it. And I think this is relevant for a conversation. It's, it's the, the, it stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound goals. It's a great acronym. It coincidentally is yeah, very smart acronym. So this is important and it's something that I want to dive into with you because I want to understand why people should implement specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound and how this can be related to awareness. If I can quickly just say, I think that if we don't set up our goals this way, then we're addressing our goals blindly. And when you address things blindly, you leave it up for your subconscious and automatic decision-making to sort of take over a lot of you know what otherwise would be truly actionable and aware goals and steps towards those goals. So if you can tell us a little bit about why this acronym makes sense and why we should set up our goals this way and how it's related to awareness. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, how you just explained it almost offers no need for me to even expand upon it anymore, but I will. And again, it's like to even get to that, when I first was starting out doing health coaching, I would kind of break these down for people. And if you're dealing with a, a CEO or you know head of a company, sometimes they're just like, dude, I don't have time to hear this because they've heard it before and they've applied it to other things. And it already has a bit of a negative connotation. But what I like to try to do is go, okay, here's where we can implement it into your life to make it a little bit better. And once you start to see that you are making progress, then it's easier to go, ah, okay, well, I do see how this is effective for me. For instance, specifying a goal is what we talked about earlier. Instead of just, I want to lose weight, we want to specify what we want to do. I want to be a healthier person or I want to have better body composition. Ah, okay. So that's the specific part of it, right? And then the measurable might be Let's take it a, a step further and say, I want to go from, I don't know, from 30% body fat, which is, would be known as obese, right? But I want to go from 30% body fat to 25% body fat. And there's going to be a number of things you have to do to get there. But unless you specify that, then you know maybe your goal has no timing to it which is that t right the timeline so what it would look like maybe is specify which is i want to change my body composition measurable is i want to go from 30% to 25% actionable is that what the, what the a is achievable but i think it's very it's, it's related to actionable now like this is sort of like the realistic aspect of that goal like for a lot of people if they're 30% going on 25% is huge and then maybe they can reevaluate once they get there, but that's already something that we know is achievable. And when it's actionable and realistic, then people can actually feel good about the steps that they're taking. If you go, hey, yeah, we're going to go from 30% down to 8%. Exactly. People are going to be like, that's, that's not actionable for me. Maybe it is, but that's so extreme now that it can make for unsustainable progress later. I could, I could you know, have like a, a yo-yo experience where it's such an extreme change. I deviate so far from homeostasis, my natural balance, that my body fights back to revert to what it knows best, not what works best for me. 
And then of course, then there's like the relevant and time bound. So you have to specify that as well. Right, exactly. And I just think like, that's a big component of health coaching, right? It's also a big component of what we all do on a daily basis. But sometimes we don't, we don't attach that to our own health and wellness. We might do that for others. We might do that for business. We might do that for our work. And when that becomes sort of inundating and not pleasant, then we attach that process to being a negative process. And so we think less about applying that to our lives to optimize our health and wellness. And as you correctly pointed out, I'm a health optimization coach. So my goal is to help people identify where they can make actionable changes and to introduce ideas that they may not have realized, which is awareness, right? So I might be known as a person to help point out things that you may not have realized. Okay. If that's all I can do for you, or if that's what I can do for you most, then I might be very helpful for you. And then there might be a point at which you go, okay, Josh, I got it. Let me control it from here. No problem. I did my job. <laughs> right? That's like an ideal scenario. Like if you can help someone, I agree as, as a coach, the best thing that I that I can achieve is, is when someone knows enough and has enough of awareness to carry on on their own accord, where they can continue to improve on their own and they know how to set these goals with a smart acronym, you know, so to speak. That's when I know I did my job. I wanted to ask you, you know, I know that you don't like to flex on people so much, but I wanted to ask you if, you know, working with Madonna as, as, as Madonna's personal wellness coach and health optimization coach, did you have a chance to help her achieve greater awareness towards her personal health and performance? And, and what was that shift like? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like with everyone I work with, so this is kind of a blanket statement or answer, is yes. Just having me in a person's life or someone like me is enough to create awareness just in general. And that's that's just like the easy, easy way out to answer that question, right? Without going into many details. But one of the things that I've always mentioned about working with people like Madonna is that she asks a lot of questions. And so there's this back and forth awareness shift, right? Because if she's asking me questions over and over and over, I either have to to check myself and say, okay, either I didn't answer her question to, to her liking, therefore I might need to find different ways to explain that answer. Or this is something that just is a newfound awareness that she's realizing that we both have to work through. You know, so I love when people are asking questions because then it allows me to also ask questions. And so we have this back and forth of asking questions. So for instance, I'll give you an example. Sometimes people realize that they're doing everything they can. They they buy all the right supplements. They're doing all of the right training. They're going through all these things, but things just still aren't quite getting better as fast as they would like. And it could be something as simple as the type of oils that a person is using to cook their foods. And this can cause low-level inflammation, can cause chronic inflammation, and, and some people can become very problematic and cause a lot of inflammation. Well, that might shut down the absorption abilities for all the expensive supplements that you're purchasing. That might shut down these techniques that we're talking about because your body is trying to deal with inflammation and it's not, it doesn't really care about this ex expensive supplement you just introduced to the body because our bodies are trying to do, it's like a triage effect. Our body is trying to take care of the most detrimental things first. 
right? And this is why I talk about like even alcohol. Alcohol is known as something called first to burn. And so when you consume alcohol while also consuming other things, let's face it, when we go out and we drink, our inhibition lowers. And so sometimes we end up having that burger or that slice of pizza or more. Well, all of that gets stored as fat until the body can deal with the poison that's being introduced. Because just because it feels good to you and your brain and the endorphins that kind of come rushing in when you have a drink or multiple drinks, the body doesn't quite care. The body just knows, hey, there's some kind of poison that's coming into the body. Alert, alert, alert. Let's take care of this, take care of this, take care of this. Everything else that gets introduced in that same time or around that time gets put off to the side. So I always introduce this to people and say, listen, I understand that you're going to drink. So if you're going to drink and we know that you're going to drink, let's make good decisions around drinking. So maybe you don't have the carb and fat laden foods that that are going to be normally problematic for you anyway. Let's try to reduce that while you're while you're drinking. Or if you know you're going to drink, maybe practice longer fasting so that when you do drink, all you have to worry about is dealing with the poison that's coming in. And again, that's a like most of my clients have a drink here and there. But when I tell them that, they're like, interesting. And so even just that little thing might be enough to shift them into, ah, you know what Josh mentioned to me when I, when I do drink and if I'm going to drink, that I should probably make smart decisions on the food that I eat when I do that. And there you go. That's enough of a shift to make a big change. Right. It's like that background noise can steal the show. Right. If you have incredible content on like a podcast like this, but let's say for whatever reason the editing here isn't doesn't work or there's something that we didn't account for, there's a background noise. Nobody's gonna listen to the content of the show. And it's the same thing in the body. If you have like an underlying stressor that the body has to deal with chronically, it's like you can't really make the most out of the rest of the good stuff that you're adding in. And that can be hugely part problematic, especially for people that are spending so much time, energy, and money into their personal health and wellness. So this is where, again, it counts to be aware. And, and to piggyback off of the blanket statement, so to, so to speak, regarding the Madonna's awareness, I agree that simply having you there is enough to have her ask more questions because she knows she can. And that alone is huge. That's fundamental because you know this as well as I do. When people ask those questions, you both get to learn, but you get a sort of a guarantee that they're thinking more for themselves. And that alone is leading to their own personal health improvement. Like when people are just thinking more because they can afford to, and if anything, they can always outsource a question to you. That alone is huge. It's a huge, huge, huge shift. Like I know, for example, and this is just, this isn't, some people will consider this an, an, an extreme example, but it's, it's simply the truth. When you charge a premium fee for a premium service, like we do with our health coaching, let's say, just the payment alone, that person is now more aware of their health and wellness. You haven't even had a chance to start working with them, but they are now more aware. So, you know what I mean? I wanted to ask you a little more about this awareness. I, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about how this awareness can influence your personal development from a, from a health and wellness perspective, but how do you think this can influence us spiritually? I know this is definitely a rabbit hole topic. So, I just want to give a, a warning here to start off. I have a lot more questions, but I'm wondering how do you think this can help us evolve spiritually and how, can, how do you think that spiritual evolution can then help us with the mental and physical aspects of our health? That's a wonderful question. And I think as we, as a society, as, a, as human beings, as we become more aware, I think more and more questions come up about 
what is spirituality? And when you can strip away this sort of conformity around what society thinks spirituality should be, I feel like the more we can become aware of ourselves and who we are, the more we see that there's a lot more out there. You know, whether you consider God being the source of power and the source of who we are, or you look into just energy or the universe is, is the all-knowing, doesn't quite matter because we're here for a reason. And there is way more than just Josh, right? There's way more to me, right? The ego allows us to understand who Josh is within this energy being, right? But then how does that connect? Because if you really truthfully believe in this, you know, we are energy beings, it can be measured, right? Unfortunately, knowing God or the source or whatever, that's less measurable, but it doesn't mean that it's not relevant. doesn't mean that it's not a thing, right? And a lot of people have anecdotal stories about how they've been saved by God or they've been saved by the universe or they were brought into this, into a certain situation because of the divine spirit and things like that. That's fine. That's just a, a way that a person explains their experience. But spirituality means something different for most people. It's hard to have everyone agree with what spirituality is. And so I like to think of it as a more personalized approach. It, it's a lot of what awareness is. We develop ego so that we know who we are, like, you know, who I am versus everything else. And I feel like spirituality is almost the opposite of that. It's the inclusion of everything as energy beings, right? And so when we can tap into what that is and how that might help us, that's when the real power starts to help or that's when the real power kicks in. Because for instance, if, and we can get very, very esoteric here, but like if, if you litter and you, you throw your trash out of the car window, and let's face it, I used to do this. I used to not think about what happens with my trash, but that's a very personal situation in which it's like, well, I don't have to, I don't care. Like I'm going to throw it out and somebody's going to take care of it. But then when you pull back and you really understand what that action causes and you multiply that times the action of, you know, of 10 million people, now you've got a bunch of trash that other people have to take care of. And ultimately our environment, our planet has to deal with, right? It's also like trying to understand where our, our trash actually goes. You know, like when we, when we go through the act of putting our trash in the bin and whether we separate it or not, it then goes somewhere for somebody else to separate. And then it goes where? Like, Thinking about spirituality and talking about trash, I'm thinking people are probably like, what? This dude is crazy. But it's just being aware of our little individual actions and where that goes. And it's the same with spirituality for me. I feel like to be able to tap into this energy, this power that is beyond Josh, that's beyond the, the ego self, tapping into that, no matter how you see it, is what is truly powerful. So for instance, another way to look at it so that we're not only talking about trash and spirituality <laughs> is what happens when you walk into a room? Do you see the energy of that room changing for the better? Do you see the energy of that room changing for the worst? Or do you just kind of blend in with the energy, right? It's almost like there's three levels there. There's something I used to talk about called nunchi, which is basically 
this idea of having situational awareness. Again, I talk about awareness a lot, but I think it's important to make sure that we're always elevating the energy around us. And this kind of comes into play with the third pillar in my book, which is quality consumption. And quality consumption, I talk about in terms of food, things that we drink, but also the energy that we consume, aka spirituality, right? It's also a part of quality awareness, but we need to be a bit more aware of the energy that we're consuming so that we can learn to push that away or we can learn to deal with it, right? So when we when we deal with family, a lot of times family can be some of the most toxic relationships that we have in our in our lives. And we end up dealing with it because it's what? Because it's family. How about changing that dynamic and allowing people to kind of talk through these ebbs and flows of this energy and start having real conversations. And now you're changing the entire scope of this situation. And so it could become something that you want to be around as opposed to something that you have to be around. Again, I know this is kind of going off on a tangent in terms of trying to talk about spirituality, but this is how I see it. I see it as something that is outside of, of just the one person, something that's way beyond who we are. How does spirituality play in this world today with this conflict and the war in Ukraine? Well, I think we're finally all coming together to see that this actions that are being taken with Russia and Ukraine is eventually going to have this downstream effect that affects the entire world. But that's energy beyond us. When you decide to help someone in need, you take in a refugee, you give money to help a certain cause. This is thinking outside of ourselves because I forget who made the quote, but injustice somewhere is an injustice everywhere, right? And I'm sure I butchered that quote, but that is also spirituality. I think of it as anything that is beyond us, that is beyond our own individual power. Yeah, there's so much that we can learn about that, that quote itself, just given this conflict right now overseas in Ukraine and and in, in Russia. It's up to us here, even though we can't see it or, or feel it the same way, we can have an impact. I'd like to, to be a little more involved in is in the voluntary efforts that have been going on here locally to support Ukraine. That's me holding myself accountable. You know, anyone listening in that, that wants to support, I'm sure there's a lot of really good opportunities to do that and maybe opportunities to collaborate in your community. You can bet that I'm going to be doing that very, very soon. I wanted to return to the family scenario because I know for a lot of people that is the case. And one thing that I've learned personally is there's no such thing as the perfect family. There's no such thing. As I get to know my friends better, as I get to know people in my life in my life better, I, I realize that, you know, from the surface level, everything can seem like it's under control, beautiful family, but there's every family has its conflicts. I have a beautiful family. I'm blessed to have the family I have, but believe me, believe me, we've been through some extremely difficult times. And the fact that you can change the pace, you can have an impact. And, and this is, so I'm going to attempt to describe this feeling. What you were saying was having this kind of conversation and, and weaving it into the ebbs and flows and elevating the feeling as a family unit. Uh, this is going to be my first time trying to describe this experience. Uh, I'm going to see what I can come up with. It's like, I know that my family has known me for so long and I know that they've seen me evolve, but there's so certain kind of conversations that I don't have with my family now that I live on my own, I do, I do my own thing because it's sort of like they don't know me as that person. And it's sort of like, you know, what are they going to say if, if all of a sudden I have this kind of conversation to try to 
improve the family unit, like a more mature conversation, more spiritual conversation. Like they're going to be like, that's not you. And I think that's a fear for a lot of people is they think as much as I want to help my family, like they're the first people that can tell me, shut the fuck up. You know, you're this person, you're not that person. But I think that it counts. I think that there's something in you that you know that you should do it. And you just, for the person listening in that knows what I'm talking about, just do it. Just do it. Have that conversation. Change the pace. It starts with you. I've had to have a conversation and it's beyond having helped my family unit. I realized that it's something that helped me evolve personally in so many ways. It helped me muster up the courage in so many other aspects of my life because if you can face something like your family, which knows you so well, they can tell you to shut up. They can tell you they're not going to listen to you. They can cut you off and stop the conversation right there. If you can muster up the courage to do that, you can muster up the courage to, to do anything. And so do it. Have the conversation. Change the pace. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. It's so therapeutic. You hit the nail on the head by saying it's therapeutic. I, I like to say it's cathartic because I recently went through what you're saying. I recently went through that when I was home over the Christmas holidays. And it was the first time, maybe not the first time, but the first time in this way that I really got that across. You know, I decided that, so my dad has been in and out of the hospital. He's been in the hospitals multiple hospitals for about a year now, right? He's been battling obesity and morbid obesity for decades. And he's finally now at the end of the rope. He's at that point where he's hit rock bottom several times. You know, we almost lost him. He almost died two or three times while being in the hospital over the past year. There's been moments when I felt like, should I say something? Should I not say something? And I finally just decided to just who gives a shit, you know? Just say what is on your heart, say what is on your mind, because not saying it has gotten us to this point, you know? My family has always been very religious, and, you know, we grew up Christian. My mom and dad are both heavily involved in the church, even though they're divorced. My dad is heavily involved. He's a deacon and assistant pastor of the church. And, you know, it's just, it's been always interesting that I would kind of hold my tongue. And I would go to church and I would see my dad sitting on the pulpit in his chair that was modified for him because he's so large, right? He's, you know, he was over 500 pounds. Many people in my dad's side of the family and many people at the church, they just kind of look past it, right? They're just like, oh, there's Russell sitting in his chair, barely able to move. He's having to direct people to, I mean, he's got his entire setup so that it's easier for him to, to carry out the things he needs to do. At what point do you stop doing that? You know, he had a, an electric chair to help get him up because it was hard for him to push off to be able to stand up. But if he got a bit of a boost, he could stand up on his own. To then having to utilize that every day to the point where he only was supposed to have that to help him get out of recovery from the hospital because he had a surgery, right? And then I noticed that when the chair broke, he was desperate to try to replace that chair. So then the next time I went home, and this was a few years ago, the next time I went home, I saw he had a walker. And I'm like, wow. So now, instead of him only using the chair to kind of get him through that recovery period of surgery, he now has relied on more crutches, lack of a better word, to enable him to continue going down the path of doing less movement. And let's face it, it's not only about lack of movement that gets a person into his situation, but it's a whole bunch of things. He's essentially relying on, he had been relying on his faith 
to take care of it, right? You know, I have faith in God that he's going to take care of me. Well, is that all you need to have? No, you need to be aware of the fact that your belief in God should also say that God has allowed you to have the wherewithal, the will, the, uh, the intelligence to be able to know that you have to do certain things on your own, right? So, you know, I had to have this conversation with my dad and say, hey, look, when you pray, I know you pray every day. When you pray, what do you ask God for? And then what do you ask God for that you then also need, need to do on your own? And he just kind of stared at me and just kind of like listened to me. And I'm like, do you hear what I'm asking you? Are you just praying that God gets you in better health? Because you're not going back to this smart acronym, right? You're not being very specific about what you want. You're also, it, it seems as if you're checking off the box by praying and saying that, you know, I, I want God to help me to be healthier but you're not personifying the roles that you need to carry out yourself. And that ends up being a crutch. And it's just like, woe is me. I've always been overweight. I can't do anything. And then you forget about the food that you're putting in your mouth. You forget about just because somebody from the church who says they love you, they bring you over a meal that you know you shouldn't be eating, but you eat it anyway because it's out of love. Like quit fooling yourself. It's that serious, you know? Like, if these people really love you, they'll stop br- enabling you. If, like, I love you, so I'm telling you now that I'm going to stop being so lighthearted about the things that I need to say to you. So when I went home over the holidays, I had a real conversation with him. I had a real conversation with my brother. And I had a real conversation with my mom, all separately. And that just lifted a huge monkey off of my shoulders. And it was a stress that I didn't realize that I had been holding for so long. Because to your point, my family definitely says, oh, here goes Josh again with the this new gadget he's got or this new supplement he's got, blah, blah, blah. But out of all those three people I mentioned, my mom is the one who has really seen a, a shift. And she's the one that like all I have to do is just mention something and she's on it, right? And she's seen a huge effect. My dad is finally getting there, but he's, he's so far down this certain path that it's hard for him to get out of it. So it's harder for him to see these results. But to your point, again, I think we've got to have these conversations, whether it's with your family, whether it's with your loved ones, your romantic relationships, your friendships. We got to just be more real with each other because that's how we're going to truly become more aware of who we need to keep and who we don't need to keep. And there's a post that I made on my Instagram, and I was just trying to be somewhat clever. It's about where the sun doesn't shine. And basically, here's the quote. So you can go and find it on my Instagram. It says, at last, don't be anything for me. Be something which is clear as ocean water. Be cloud, but don't rain on me. Be sun, but don't shine for me. Be moon, but don't enlighten me. Be lucid in what you are to me so that I can think where do you exist, right? To me, that's powerful because it says so much. Like, well, no, this was a quote that I found and I decided to put that together with this photo in which there's sun shining and my butt is in the air. And I called it where the sun don't shine and I, I, I readapted it, but it meant a lot to me. And people who know me, they see that and they go, oh, wow, that's deep. Because what it's saying is, is that I don't need you to do anything for me, but 
you could also do a lot for me, right? So the sun is there. The sun is going to always provide light. But how does that help you, right? When you need to sleep, you don't want that sun, right? You don't, you need to shut that out. But when you need, you want sun, you need sun, you need the vitamin D, you need to be rejuvenated, then you do need that sun. The sun is there. It's the same thing with our family. Our family is going to be there, but how can they help themselves so that we can all grow together? And I think it's more about like a growth mindset. When we think of life as abundance instead of a scarcity mindset, this is what enables better conversations. So it's kind of my way of, of explaining that. When I used to hold my tongue and talking to my family, I realized that that was from a scarcity mindset. That was from a, uh, I don't know if saying this is going to hurt this person's feelings or whatever, but that shouldn't matter because where it comes from, the intention behind it is I'm just trying to bring up something, shine a light on what I'm seeing. And this behavior is not helping you and it's certainly not helping me. So if you want me to be around more, then let's change this scenario. Let's just make a simple shift. If my apartment is cluttered to, you know, to the point where I don't want to invite people over, well, I can make a couple decisions. I can either leave it that way, make all the excuses in the world to say, well, you know, it's like this because of X, Y, and Z. And I used to do this for years. Now I'm excited to have people over because I know that this is my place. This is my home. I've cleaned it up to a point where now people want to come over and I want people to come over. So I had to make a simple shift instead of making excuses. So I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's a long-winded answer for sure. I'll say the quote and the concept alone are very powerful. The context that you just provided makes it extremely, extremely powerful and profound. And you had to do that quote justice with the depth of everything that you just shared. I just want to say thank you for sharing all that. Listening to this really impacted me and I'm going to... Man, I'm getting emotional just just thinking about this, honestly. I know that this is going to help a lot of people. And I'll tell you that it's helped me because I have had, I've been making an effort to help my dad. My dad's overweight and and maybe he'll be listening to this episode, you know, who knows. But my, my dad's overweight and I've been trying to help him a lot. He, I think he neglects a lot of his personal health and well-being because of traumas that he's suffered in the past. And I think he knows that too. And we've been trying to make things better. A few days ago was his birthday, actually three days ago. And he's getting closer to, you know, 60 years old. And I, and I wanted to talk to him, have a conversation with him on, on his birthday about like, hey, I think we should start making these shifts. And I really wanted to just have a moment, just me and him one-on-one. It's very difficult to do it with my dad. Um, I think he gets uncomfortable having these vulnerable conversations. I know he appreciates it. I know, I know, that, some, I know that deep inside he realizes how special it is to have those conversations with me. But it's like, I think because of his trauma and life experience, and maybe if he listens to this, it, he won't, maybe he doesn't want me to share so much. And I, I won't share so much. I'm just sharing with regards to his vulnerability. I think it makes him a little uncomfortable, but I think that it's something that I have to keep trying and keep doing because at the end of the day, he knows it's special. I know it's special and it just has to happen. It has to happen. We have to bring this awareness. He wants to improve as much as I want him to improve. And we need to put this difficulty aside, this trauma aside, this change in me, right? Because I've matured. I can have these conversations. I have the experience. But he has a perception of me as, hey, this is, this is my son. You know, like I'm the older person. I'm the wiser person. I'm the smarter person. I know what I know. And I've lived my life a certain way. And it's like, like your dad, like he 
was praying to God. And he's like, no, I feel like this all my life. It's like an excuse. It's like what's serving you is now an excuse. But I think that if we can put that aside and we can have these difficult conversations, we can have a tremendous impact in our family. And that carries over to our personal well-being, to our personal wisdom. We can apply what we learned there to so many other scenarios, so many other aspects. Like I think to myself, if I can help my dad, I can help anyone on this planet because my dad is the one person that can tell me, shut the fuck up. And he can close the door and he can yell at me. He can cut me off. You know what I mean? He's like that one person. If he can do that and I can have that conversation, I can help anybody on this planet. I will piggyback on top of that. Thank you for sharing that. I think, imagine what it's like if you can have more than just your dad be the person to tell you to shut the fuck up. More than just your girlfriend. More than just you know your family members. What about having a group of people that you respect, that you know that every intention behind what they do and what they say is out of love for you and for the growth of you? Now imagine walking into any scenario with the people that you choose to have around you. That's all growth. That's all growth. Right. And this is why I feel like, you know, it's, it's important to be aware of that. And, and I always will say, you know, ask people to become more aware of the feelings they have uh, when you bring up these difficult conversations. So it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly normal that your dad feels uncomfortable about having uncomfortable conversations. But what he should also think about is why does it make him feel uncomfortable? And not having those uncomfortable situations or those uncomfortable conversations, kind of sweeping them under the rug only stores it elsewhere in your body. There's a really good book called The Body Keeps the Score. There's also a great book that I just posted about called Healing the Shame That Binds You. Those are very similar in that our bodies have a tally of all these traumas that get stored somewhere. And they manifest in different ways. They manifest in anger. They manifest in overweight. They manifest in pain. Sometimes all the above, right? So not talking about it doesn't really do anybody any good. And so I would much rather someone tell me, hey, you know what, Josh? I wanted you to come over, but I just don't think I'm quite ready for the conversations that we typically have. That's a powerful statement. That's actually that's taking a bit of vulnerability and admitting that like, hey, I know I need it, but I'm just not quite ready for it. That's okay. That's okay, right? But all I want to know is like, are you going to be willing to have the real conversation? Because, you know, it's not, you can't just put it in God's hands because it's not working for you. So where do we go now? And for instance, I'll even get more specific with, with my dad. You know, he's been in the hospitals for over well, about a year now and insurance is literally running out today. Like as we speak today, insurance has run out. Now he's being forced to go to a nursing home or go home. He's not well enough to go home. So he's got to go to a nursing home, but he has to pay out of pocket now because insurance is not doing it anymore. He has to pay out of pocket for PT. What do you think for physical therapy? That is, what do you think that's going to do for his ability to actually take PT seriously? Because he has to pay out of pocket now, he's going to take PT a lot more serious. I had a conversation with him yesterday about what his options are. You know, he ends up crying to me on the phone because, you know, my brother has had it up to here. My brother is done with trying to like, because my brother is the only one there physically that can help him through all these things. But my brother gets frustrated because my dad, he feels like my dad can do a lot more than what he's doing. So 
rather than my brother do it in a way like I, like how I would do it, which is maybe be a little bit more empathetic about the conversation. My brother takes his own pain and ends up yelling at my dad. And they have these arguments to where my dad is crying. My brother is frustrated rather than just, hey, let's just talk about what the options are here. Let's talk about the pain this is causing me, the pain that it's causing my brother, you know? And when we were able to actually work through it, that's when the beauty starts to happen. You know, for a long time, my dad wasn't even able to stand because he had been bedridden for so long. He went from 507 pounds down to like 330 pounds. He's lost over 200 pounds, you know, or about 200 pounds. And he's doing a lot better, which was the first time in his life that he's lost that much weight. You would think that that's a good thing, but he's gotten so weak because he hasn't been able to walk and move that he wasn't able to stand up. Well, when they got him out of the facility that he was in because they just were negligent with his care. He fell out of the hospital bed a couple of times. Like they weren't cleaning him properly, doing all these things. He would complain to me, Josh, I hated this place. Is this and that? Now I can go, yeah, it really sucks. Like, I guess we got to find another place for you to be. Or I can be really real with him and say, well, you shouldn't be there in the first place. You know, like you shouldn't even be there in the first place. When you complain about somebody not washing you properly, How about saying, you know what? I can wash myself properly. As soon as I can get up out of here, I'm going to be doing it the way that I want to do it. And before he got himself in there, he found himself hiring people to clean his house, which totally fine. If you're unable to clean your own house, but you want a clean house, hire somebody to do it. Sure. But when you're hiring somebody to go and buy you a bunch of snacks that you know you don't need and to go to the the fast food store because there's no health food stores around and you're not cooking like you used to and you're not going to the mailbox to get your own mail, that's a problem. You got to start identifying where the problems are and be aware of where the problems are before you can really start to get through it. And I have these conversations with him and he just, he's like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Okay. So you know, but what are you doing about it? Well, now I can't do this. I can't do that. Did you pray about it? Well, yeah. Okay. So that wasn't, that's not enough. So what else can you do? You got to do something, right? And so again, for the first time yesterday, I talked to my dad and I could really sense the seriousness now because he's having to consider thousands of dollars just to be in a place he doesn't want to be and hopefully to buy, you know, or to hire someone to be able to get the care that he's not able to get at a normal nursing home. All that's coming out of his pocket. I don't have the money to do it. He doesn't have the money to do it, but he's got to find a way to do it. That in itself is a very different scenario. And do we have to wait until you get that bad? Well, in his situation, he did. So like like your father, if he's listening to this, you know, the hope would be that he and anybody else battling with that kind of scenario, hopefully they don't get to that point where they have to make that decision. So this is why I do what I do, you know, to help myself, to help my my family, to help my friends, to help my loved ones, and then hopefully to help somebody else that's listening that doesn't know me, that doesn't know what I do, doesn't quite care what I do. But if they hear this and they go, oh shit, okay, you know what? I need to get my shit together. I've been talking about for the last three years, when the pandemic happened, I finally could take away the excuse of having to go to work every day because now I can work from home. But what are you doing about that? Are you exercising more? Are you cooking in more? Or now have you created that as another complaint or excuse to say, well, I have to work from home, so I can't go to the gym. I can't go to the gym either, but I got a whole setup here. 
Then excuses, well, but I don't have the money to be able to pay for it. Well, some of these things are free. Bodyweight workouts are free, right? <laughs> so anyway, another rabbit hole I'm sure that I've gone down and can continue to go down. But I just think it's important to bring about that awareness and be willing to have the conversations. And anybody listening to what I just said, be open to having conversations with people who actually care about you. That's it. I didn't think I'd be getting so emotional on this podcast, man. One thing that's on my mind now is I've never really done this as an adult, but I'm going to ask my dad to get lunch one of these days. And that way, we're just in the same spot at the same time. We have a time commitment and we can talk things out, you know, because when we're home, it's very easy for him to get up, go to his room, tell me to shut up. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely, and and I know that you do too, we, we love our dads and it's why we do this. The people that we love most are sometimes the people that are the most difficult to reach and to talk to, you know. And I know, and, and I, I, I don't, you know, you can speak for yourself, but it, it seems to me like having these kind of conversations with our loved ones helps us then have these kinds of conversations with our clients, people that are complete strangers that could use your help. And sometimes our help is literally just telling them what they need to hear telling them what they need to hear. We always want to be people that, that you know, will help you improve your body composition, will help you get fitter, will help you get smarter, sure. But it's like sometimes to get to those, to get from A to B, you have to see what else is happening in the background and you have to be straight up with people and tell them, you need to do this differently. You need to think about this differently. You need to start asking more questions about this. You need to review that. This is why you're approaching me because you haven't addressed this, this trauma or this circumstance or this environment or this relationship or this friendship. So for the people tuning in, speak to your family, speak to your close friends, have these difficult conversations. It's going to help you and it's going to help you influence more people around you. Whether you see it directly or not, it's going to build you up to have these conversations and influence people around you. We can keep this going, but man, I, I, I think this has been quite an episode. <laughs> Dude, I'm, my pleasure. I would even offer a piece of advice from, at least from my perspective, someone that's literally in the field doing this daily with whether it be my family or clients, I would say, do whatever you can to start with compassion because that makes the conversation go a lot differently, usually for the better. And what that might look like is, let's say you book that lunch. Let's say, you know, whatever, you send that text or you make the phone call to say you want to have lunch. When you get to sitting down with that person, just settle into the fact, you know, maybe it's a nice day, maybe it's a shitty day. But just be aware of the moment in which you have this beautiful, energetic being across from you, this person that you have a lot of love for. And sometimes, especially for guys, it's hard to say, I love you. And I, I, I don't know why it's like this, but that's just kind of how it is. And so sometimes it's, it starts by just saying, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for coming here. This is, this is taking a lot for me to get to this point, but I've been doing a lot of work on myself. And I want to tell you, I want you to hear it coming from me that I love you. And I want you to hear that. And let's just maybe have a moment of silence. And I want you to feel it. And what does that feel like to you? And dude, <laughs> what comes from that? <laughs> that was perfectly said. And I know a lot of people, and I know even maybe even previous versions of ourselves. I know certainly for me, this is the case. That scares a previous version of myself to say that to my dad. And as much as I love my dad, my dad knows I love him. I know he loves me. We're best friends. We really are. But it's like saying that and having a moment to just appreciate that and let that simmer. That's tough, especially as men. Like when I call my mom and I get off the phone with her, I tell her, hey, I love you, mom. But my dad, yes, it, it'll be there. But it's like, I, I love you. <laughs> Quickly hang up. You know, it's like, it, it's tough. It's tough as guys to have this conversation. It's tough. 
it's tough. It's very tough, but you I can have to open you. up this feminine side of you, you know, and it's like you want to you want to show people that you're in charge, that you have things under control, that you know you're the alpha, you're the dude. It's like it's tough, especially to your dad. You want to show your dad that that he did a good job and that you that you're taking care of things, and you don't have to open like open up, open of up, course. open up. It's powerful what comes from that, and it just sets the tone. You know what I mean? Like for me, it helps to set the tone because. The uncomfortableness that arises is actually quite comical once you look back on it. Yeah. And I always finish it up with, I love you and a big hug. And I just embrace the awkwardness. You know what I mean? Like whether it's my mom, my dad, my loved ones, my friends, you know, I find myself doing that even more, especially with my friends, especially with my male friends. It's a homie hug, right? Like it's like a half hug. But the ones that, really get me and the ones that we can really have real like open deep conversations these are the ones that i'm giving a real hug to because we can forget about what society thinks about us uh guys shouldn't be hugging each other and that's that's gay and whatever who it doesn't matter you're across from this other energetic being that is also going through things and we might be able to elevate our environment simply by connecting with each other. And when those conversations are had, then it's like, whoa, anything that comes from that, you know, like, let's say you, you sit down, you have your, you know, you tell your dad you love him and you, you have a moment of, of silence just to reflect on those words. Then the next thing that comes out of your mouth is going to be usually received in a much greater in a greater way, right? And so maybe that next question, it could be something as simple as how do you feel? And that's, not a yes or no question, right? We don't ask closed-ended questions as health coaches. You ask open-ended questions, questions that require more questions, questions that require depth to, to even take a moment to think about and reflect on. Because let's face it, most of us nowadays are just going, hey, man, how's it going? No, I'm good. But let's really take a moment to kind of talk about how do you feel? Because I notice that now when I see you, it takes a little bit longer for you to get out of the truck takes a little bit longer for you to go to the bathroom. takes a little bit longer for you to answer back my text because you're forgetting this and forgetting that. Like, Because I love you so much, I want to do what I can while we're here on this earth together. I want to do what I can to help. And it started because I'm working on myself. So I'd love to extend that to you. And what are you feeling? You know, I think I, I really like that too. It's like the element of Adding in the element of I've been working on myself because it, it just shows that you've given this such a depth of thought that it's changed you in the process. And because it's changed you, you are now ready to have and embark on this conversation and this new outlook and perspective and, and, and the ability to help your father. And, you know, with, with one thing that we've done in my family that I think has, has been really nice lately is we recently, I recently learned about the, the length of hugs and how they influence oxytocin. And I don't know if this was Huberman or who, but it's like an eight second hug. Like when you have an eight second hug, that's like peak endorphins, oxytocin. And so now when I hug my dad, we, we literally count down like eight seconds. I mean, not always, but like, we'll, we'll do it for fun, you know, and it's, and it's great. I know at the end of the day, my dad really appreciates this because the kind of relationship that I have with him, he never had with his father, not even close. And I know that of all the things he's proud of, the thing that he's the proudest of is the love that he's been able to curate and, and, and create in his immediate family because he never had that. 
And so I know that at the end of the day, as difficult as these conversations may be, they are serving us on some level. And I know that they're making both of us better people. That being said, I mean, bro, I didn't think we would get into this kind of conversation, but I'm so glad that we did. This has been like a therapy session for me. Perhaps it's been the case for you. And I know for a lot of people tuning in, maybe it's been the same. And I want to honor that. So let's keep having these conversations. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate everything you do. Thank you for for creating the space and the time to do this. For anybody listening, feel free to, I'm sure Andres is going to tag me and all of the, the stuff that he puts out. I'm here to to help any way I can. Obviously, we, we're all trying to run a business here, but I have a podcast as well. And the hope is that you know, I'm going to get Andres on mine as well. Just stay tuned with all the stuff that we're coming out with. I have no doubt that Andres is going to really keep elevating and I'm happy to help, but also to watch you grow. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And if there's anything I could do to help, please don't hesitate to reach out. Much love, man. If I, if we were together right now, I'd give you an eight second hug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same bro. Much love to you as well. And thank you again to all the listeners and viewers. Thanks, Josh. So that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For all of the show notes, including clickable links to anything and everything that we discussed today, everything from discount codes to videos to research articles, books, tips, tricks, techniques, and of course, to learn more about the guest on today's episode, all you have to do is head to my website, andresprechel.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-S-P-R-E-S-C-H-E-L.com and go to podcasts. You can also leave your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future episodes, future guests, so on and so forth. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Have a lovely rest of your day.